Mike will go ahead and grab a seat. It is wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout. And if you grab your notes out of your handout, you'll see at the top the title of our discussion today. It's Connection is Everything. And in Matthew chapter 22, we read this passage. We talked about a lot at Overlake that Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment in all of the scriptures? And Jesus, because he's a bit of an overachiever, he gives the two greatest commandments in all of the scriptures. He says the first is that we are to love the Lord. We're to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and so, by the way, we, when we talk about connection, we're talking about a connection to God and a connection to God's love. And at Overlake, that actually is our first purpose. We have three purposes. Our first is the purpose of loving God. We feel like that's what God has called us to define our church family around that as, a, as our first and our primary purpose. The second uh, commandment that Jesus talks about is actually the second level of connection that we're talking about today. And that is, he says, not only do we love God, but we are to love people. We're to love one another. We're to love our neighbor as ourself. And so when we talk about connection, it's not just the connection to God, but it's a connection to spiritual friendships. It's a connection to one another. And by the way, this is our second purpose as a church, that we are not only to love God, but we are to love people. And so this is huge. This is what we're talking about, how life-giving it is to be in vibrant connection with one another. Some of you already know this, but one of the most devastating punishments that humans have ever come up with in order to punish one another is, is this concept of solitary confinement. And through the years, there have been various studies done on the negative impact of solitary confinement. I'll just read you a few. It can create certain mental illnesses such as depression, changes in our brain physiology, existential crisis, and even death. I want you to hear that. Isolation can be lethal. Now, the interesting thing is that science has also done research on the upside, on the other side of the spectrum, how powerful friendships can be. Friends, it turns out, are good for our body and our soul. In other words, friends help us ward off depression, boost our immune system, lower our cholesterol, increase the odds of surviving coronary disease, and friends help us keep our hormones in check. That's why we recommend 14-year-olds have a lot of friends, right? <laughs> now, recently, science has also identified friendships as an antidote for addiction. And it's, it's so incredible that we see how powerful friendships can be, how devastating isolation can be, and yet many of us choose to condemn ourselves to lives of solitary confinement. That we're the ones who opt out of relationship. And the Bible paints a really different picture. It says in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, 10, and 12, it says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It talks about how good it is to be in friendship, how good it is to be in relationship, how much stronger, how much better we are together. 
You know, I, I noticed the, the power of this verse not too long ago. It was over the summer, and I was at the gym. And I go to the gym from time to time. I really enjoy uh, walking around and sipping water and, and dabbing my forehead with a towel. And, and so I was doing those things, and as I was there at the gym, I saw a guy on the bench press without a spotter. And he was lifting a lot of weight. And I know it was a lot of weight because his wrist buckled and it landed on his chest. And so I walked over to help him lift it off. And then I realized that my training extensively in walking around and sipping water and dabbing my forehead with a towel did not prepare me to help lift that amount of weight. I needed a spotter to help this guy lift weight that he needed a spotter for. And, and it was just a, such a powerful visual for me to recognize that, you know what, it's together that we're stronger. It's together that we're better, that this is actually God's plan for how it is that we tackle this life. You see, God has wired us to be social. He's wired our lives to be lived not in isolation, but in relationship, in friendship with one another, with a spotter, if you will. Because one day a crisis might come crashing down on you. The loss of a job, a financial or relational crisis, someone you love may get sick, someone you love may pass, and, and maybe not, right? But maybe the, the crisis is simply that the isolation just grows and grows, and the weight of your loneliness crashes down on you, and, and God's plan is that in addition to himself, that you would have a few others around you walking with you, lifting the weight when it's too much to bear. Philosopher Francis Bacon noted two tremendously positive effects of friendship. He writes, it redoubleth joys and cutteth griefs in half. You know what he's saying? He's saying friendships are powerfuleth. So we know that friendships are positive. We know that they're powerful. We know that they're God's good design for us. And yet, ironically, some of us choose not to invest in them. And so I want to encourage all of us to greater connection today. A couple of things to keep in mind. The first is this, that the friendship can't be forced. It's not something that we can just order up. We cannot be consumers of friendship. We must be investors in it. The second thing that I want to tell you is that friendship is a little bit like trying to fall asleep. You know, you cannot will yourself to fall asleep. You can't make sleep happen, but you can do some things that will help you get there. You can lie down on a comfortable surface. You can turn the lights off. You can close your eyes. You can listen to one of my messages online. But you see, the truths that we're going to talk about, they are simply ways in which you cultivate the, the soil, if you will, so that friendship can have a fertile place to grow. And as we get into this, I want you to see that all of our friendships are valuable. All of them are important. All of them are a part of God's design. So we're going to jump in. The first level of friendship we're going to talk about is what we're calling community friendships. Community friendships. These are friendships that happen in our community. And, and just to kind of paint a picture of this, I want you to know that instead of talking about a circle of friends, I think it might be more helpful to talk about a triangle of friends. And that there are these different levels of our friendship. And, and the first level, the base level, is what we're talking about with community friends. 
You know, most folks have contact with between 500 and 2,500 acquaintances every year. And that would represent sort of the base level, that level one of the friendship triangle. At the next level, we see most folks have between 20 and 100 connected friends in the middle. We know these folks. We work with these folks. We spend time with them. We laugh with them. Then at the very pinnacle of the triangle, people have between one and five core friendships. And if you've got five friends at this level, you can count yourself at at the very, very top of the most blessed humans. So let's talk real quick about the base of the triangle, level one friends. This is when circumstance puts you together. Maybe you're on the same committee. Maybe you're on the same sideline watching a kid's soccer game. Maybe you're sitting next to one another in church. I would challenge you to honestly view every single person you meet as a potential friend. And what this does is it starts with general kindness. This, by the way, this kindness, it's just my responsibility as a Jesus follower, treating everyone with respect. And if you do this, then every moment can open the door here for a possible friendship. I want you to know that Jesus models this in his ministry as he goes from town to town. He looked people in the eye. He was open to conversations. He, he wanted to value people and meet them where they were. A good example of this in the Bible is when he encounters a man named Zacchaeus. And many of you are familiar with this story, Zacchaeus. Maybe you grew up in Sunday school. You even learned a song about Zacchaeus. Help me out if you can. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. That's right. Apparently, he was the only Irish Hebrew mentioned in the scriptures. (laughs) But this is what we read as Jesus encounters Zacchaeus in Luke 19, verses 1 and following. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All right, if you're filling in the blanks, we can see a couple of things that Jesus did that we can begin to implement in our life. And the first is simply the the word initiate. It's the challenge that we take the initiative, that we step into the possibility of friendship. And that's what Jesus does with Zacchaeus. He's the one who starts the conversation. And so for you, for me, maybe this so we just recognize something about the person that we're interacting with and, and just make a kind comment about this. For me, I find it often helps to find things that we have in common, like we're in the same class or we have the same computer preference or we live on the same street, we share an alma mater, we, we share a hobby, we share a clothing style, we share the same holy love of the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, all kinds of things that you can notice and, and recognize and comment on. And what Jesus did was he recognized a short guy in a tree, obviously driven there by some sort of inner, internal dissatisfaction with his life. And so Jesus took the initiative. The next fill-in is that we remember a name. We prioritize a name. And, and, and this is so honoring. It, it communicates such value. 
See, Jesus calls him Zacchaeus, and then the Bible makes it especially point to make this clear. He called him by name. See, the story would not have been as powerful if Jesus had just said, hey, tiny tax tot in the tree, you know, dudes in robes shouldn't climb that high, you know, or like that would not have been a good way for this to start. No, he took initiative and he communicated value by remembering his name. And then the next feeling is this, that you step out in kindness. You step out in kindness. And maybe this just starts with a smile. Maybe it starts with a question, a conversation. Maybe it starts with an invitation. You know, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I'm coming over to your house today. See, the Bible makes it clear. It's fine for you to invite yourself over to someone else's home. <laughs> now, I, I, I would just challenge you, simply be kind and be invitational. In fact, let me just give a, a real quick object lesson. Do a quick glance right around your seat. Just look around you right now. See, all around you are folks that this is a possibility, that maybe today before you leave this room, you invite them and say, hey, you know what, let me buy you a coffee at Central Cafe. Let's take a moment before we even leave this building to value this opportunity, take initiative, remember a name, and step out in kindness. And I just want to remind you, friends, that all friendships at all levels have value. They're all important. They create the social structure that we experience life through. So my challenge is not that you would devalue some and value others. My challenge is that you would value all of your friendships and look at all of them as opportunities to invest and develop. But that's level one. That's our community friends. Uh, now let's go to level two. These are our connected friendships. These are connected friendships. It's the second level of the friendship triangle. And there are some tools that we can employ as we develop our friendships from community to connected. Uh, if you're filling in the blanks, it's this, that we would employ good question asking and good listening to one another. Good question asking and good listening. This is incredibly honoring. To, to actually ask insightful questions and then to listen and actively listen and ask follow-up questions to what's being communicated. What, what you're saying in that moment is, you are valuable to me. I can't wait to hear what it is that you're sharing with me. Unfortunately, what we so often do is our, our brains kind of go someplace else, and we begin to think about how we're going to respond, or we begin to think about other things that we have going on, or, or where the kids are right now. Or what's, you know, our brains can't have this ability to go everywhere, but if we're mindful and we're present, we employ good question asking, good listening, we communicate value. And Jesus did this all the time. Specifically, when Jesus was with his 12 disciples. He was with them, by the way, 24-7, three years in a row. And we have all kinds of examples from the scripture about how Jesus would ask insightful questions of them. About how he would hear them and hear the concerns on their hearts. Hear the things that they were wrestling with in their life. Jesus knew how to be a good question asker and a good listener to his disciples. And then the next fill-in is that we would build one another up, that we would take these conversations as opportunities to build one another up. We would see something in someone that they might not see themselves. 
We would notice moments of them acting in graceful ways or, or gener generosity of spirit or ways in, in which they, they model forgiveness or strength. And then we would call that out. We would, we would affirm that and build that up in them. And again, we look at Jesus. What, what did Jesus do? Jesus did this again and again. A good example is with Peter. You know, Peter, as a disciple, he, oftentimes, we kind of joke about Peter, we call him the foot-in-the-mouth guy. Like, like, he would often kind of jump ahead of himself, he'd stick his foot in his mouth, he was just a little erratic, you know, kind of all over the place. He, he needed a little ADD medication, maybe. There was just something going on in Peter that it just took him a long time to get. And yet, the name Peter means rock in Greek. And so Jesus, he looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, you are the rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the other disciples are nudging each other going, rock, no way. It's more like pebbles, right? Like, but yet Jesus saw that potential in him. And he drew it out of Peter. And then if you know the story, Peter actually did get it. And as a Christ follower, he used his passion. And he used his integrity. And he used his perseverance. And, and it was on the rock of Peter that the church of Christ followers was built. And so you see this powerful thing that we have for one another, that we can pull potential out of each other. We can see what's great about the other and draw it out, even if they don't see it themselves. And then the, the next truth here is that we need to be real with one another. Another word for being real is simply the word authenticity. You might want to write that down somewhere. Being authentic. And this simply means you're honest about who you are and how you feel. You're honest about the journey that you're on. Most of us spend so much time and energy trying to be something that we're not in the eyes of others. We deceive others about who we really are. We pretend, Eugene Peterson says, we spend our lives impersonating ourselves. It's powerful. And yet... Even in this place where we work really hard to create a safe space, we work really hard to, to recognize that, that, that there are no perfect people here, but that we're all on a journey, we're all in a process, and yet even in this space, even in church, sometimes we pretend. And so the challenge is that we would be real. Yeah, my dad was a career Marine, and he served in Desert Storm over in Kuwait. And one of the stories that came out of that conflict I found kind of amusing. It was a, a young colonel who had been recently promoted and stationed over there, and he was in this makeshift office. He was just unpacking his stuff at the new desk he'd been given, and he was a little insecure about how others would treat him in his rank of colonel, even though he was so young. And so as he's there getting his stuff unpacked, he notices a private coming down the hall carrying a toolbox. And he wants to appear important in front of this private, and so he quickly picks up the phone, and he pretends he's in the middle of a conversation. Yes, Mr. President. Right away, Mr. President. Absolutely, Mr. President. You know, thank you so much. Please give the First Lady my regards. And he hangs up the phone. As the private walks in, he says, oh, and how may I help you today? And the private looks at him sheepishly and says, well, I'm just here to hook up the phone. And, and so you see that this idea of trying to look better than you are, trying to pretend that you're perfect, like that, it, it doesn't serve you well. I mean, there is a place for it. It's called Facebook. But 
in real life, right, in real relationships, we need to be real with one another. We need to be authentic with one another. In fact, if you want to write this down, the, the word that we're going after is this word, uh, reciprocal disclosure. And reciprocal disclosure means this, that when we're in relationships that are connected, when we're in relationships that are authentic, that we're willing to just open up a little bit and share our story, share our struggle, share what it is that we're wrestling with in, in the hopes that the other person will do the same and open up. And there'll be reciprocal disclosure. And this is a beautiful thing. This is incredibly empowering. And so I would just challenge you to, to be real, to be authentic. And one of the most powerful ways that we experience this at Overlake is we experience this in our life groups. Life groups really are an incubator for friendships that are centered on our faith. And there's simply no way I can push hard enough for all of us to be involved in life groups. Groups are where we practice the one another's found in Scripture. Where we, and there are many one another's, and we have to do these in connected friendships. We do this by loving one another by caring for one another, by praying for one another, by sharing one another's burdens. We do this in the context of connected friendships. And so I really would challenge you to get involved in life groups. But please hear this. Life groups are by no means the only vehicle at Overlake for connection. In fact, this is why we have built everything that we have built, because we believe that connection is everything. And so we've been intentional and we've been prayerful about our life groups, about building Central Cafe and our Kid Town Park, about our Rooted 101 and 201, about our Shape Class, about the Gathering for Women, about Celebrate Recovery and Support Groups, about Financial Peace University and our Premarital Counseling about our biblical counseling and training, our Sozo prayer ministry, divorce care and recovery, grief share, living grace, our step groups, our ministry teams, our serve the world teams, our community serve day, our parish pastors, our Eastside Academy mentors, our special delivery mentors, our short-term mission teams, Kidtown leadership team, our Kidtown preschool, our group life with students. And now I need to take a breath because everything that we do is built for the purpose of connection. We believe that connection is everything. And as a church, we're seeking to do what Paul did. This is what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He writes, we loved you so much that we share with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. See, friends, that's what it's all about, this idea of love and friendship, sharing God's love and sharing our lives with one another. This is how we develop powerful, connected friendships. But I want to challenge this. Each of us has to take the next step. You know, many of us are in different places spiritually. We're different places in terms of our opportunity, what our weeks look like. But I promise you that God is prompting each and every one of us to take the next step to invest in friendships. Get involved in a group or take that next step to get involved in a ministry team or whatever it is that God is calling you to do. You take that opportunity. You make that investment. Now, I do want to let you know that as we're talking about friendships on different levels, I even heard this a little bit in the hallway in between. It was offered in jest, but, but here's the deal. Please, I, I don't need you to identify your friends at these different levels. Like, oh, you, you're a level one friend. Yeah. 
Like, like this, this is not, you don't need to graph your friendships, okay? In fact, we found a video. Please watch this, enjoy it, but do not do this in your own life. Now, we've known each other for quite some time in the professional realm. I'd like to push things forward in the friendship realm. What's the friendship realm? Well, you've heard of a realm, mm. yeah? Yes. Well, this is like a friendship one. A group of people basically getting together, calling each other friends. Look at this. Right. Okay. What's this? It's a friendship graph. Okay, if you have a look along here on the x-axis, this represents time passing. And on the y-axis here, this is the different levels of friends. Okay? Starting up here with friends, workmates, down to colleagues, underneath that strangers, which is pretty much everyone I've noticed, and then enemies. So basically, you guys are here, workmates. And what I want is, is get you up here. Friends and above. That's where Jim is. Who's Jim? Well, Jim's my best friend. I've oh. never heard of Jim. Well, if you guys were my friends, you'd know who my other friend was. Jim. Uh, Mary, would you like to see the new immigration report? Greg, do you think of us as friends? I hope so, Mary. We're not. We're colleagues. <laughs> so, don't do that. <laughs> And again, the point is, right, the, the point that we're talking about, I want to be very, very clear, it's that we can value all of our friendships and we can invest in all of them and develop them to, to the maximum level, uh, wherever it is that God wants that friendship to grow, we can be the ones who are proactively investing and building that kind of, I talked about cultivating the soil so that true friendship can, can blossom and grow. All right, now here's the deal. We've talked about our community friends. We've talked about our connected friends. The third level is our core friendships, our core friendships. And if you have more than one or two core friends, if you have friends at this level, people that, that they know you and they love you, that you've invested your life into them, they've invested their life into you, then friends, you can count yourself blessed. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing that God allows to grow in our lives. And, and, and these friends actually help us define who we are. We, we, we can look at our lives and recognize that it's because of their influence that we are the people that we are. And there are a few beautiful realities about our core friendships. The first, core friends are loyal to one another. Core friends trust one another deeply. Core friends are a celebrated gift from God. And these are the friendships that we actively cherish. You know, this week I was just praising the Lord as I was thinking about this topic. Praising the Lord for a few friends that I have that, that we've journeyed the miles together with. And we share life and we share joy and we share grief and we share faith. That's all a, a part of this core level of friendship. And then here's what Jesus says. Jesus, because this is kind of that other level, right? Jesus says, where two or more are gathered, that he himself is present. And so it, it kind of goes into this area where it does get a little mysterious, and it does get spiritual and, and, and even mystical, kind of this other thing that can happen when we share our faith journey with our core friends. And Jesus says, where two or three gather together as my followers... I am there among them. Now, Jesus is there. His name is Emmanuel, and that means God is with us. 
And I believe that when you get a couple of buddies together and you're talking over lunch about all the things that God is doing in your life and in your family, that Jesus is at the lunch counter with you. That when you gather together in the morning for coffee and prayer with a few of your friends and, and you spend some time lifting one another up in prayer, that Jesus is right in your midst. That through friendship, he is reminding us of who God is, that God is relational and God is loving. And that he's also reminding us of who we are, that we are his sons and his daughters, dearly loved, pouring strength and courage into us so that we can live victorious lives regardless of the fires and the difficulties that we might face. You know, in the Bible, we have a few pictures of this level of friendship. You might want to think about Jesus and he had three that he spent the most time with, that he cherished their, their input the most. And this would be Peter, James, and John. They were core-level friends. You might want to think in the Old Testament about David and Jonathan and the bond that they had. It was truly what you would call a best friend bond. But the, the, the thing that I'd like to focus on for just a few minutes this morning, it's actually a picture of an Old Testament life group. And it's about three friends that were so close with one another that they are never mentioned apart from their relationship with each other. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego always mentioned together. It's as if it was their bond of friendship that was the core identifying factor of them. And you might know the story. They were born in Israel, but the Babylonians had come in. They had conquered Israel. And so many were taken captive to Babylon, including these three friends. And so part of what bonded their friendship together was the difficult circumstances that they faced as young men. But it solidified their friendship. And it also, their friendship helped solidify their faith. And at one point, if you want to read about this, this is found in Daniel and uh, I believe it's Daniel chapter 3. And so you can read up on this story. I'm just going to kind of give you the summary. But King Nebuchadnezzar had this idea. He was going to build a statue. And, and the statue was in some kind of a likeness of himself. And he was going to decree that everyone in the entire land, whenever they heard, you know, the, the sound of the music and the bells gonging, that everyone was to bow down and to worship the statue, which was a way of worshiping him. And so everyone did. You know, the statue was built and the, the music would play. Everyone would bow down. Pretty easy to see that when everyone bows down, there's three people not bowing, and they are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they get brought before the king. They get busted for not bowing, and, and the king gives them one more chance. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ring the bells one more time, and, and I'm going to give you one more chance to bow down and to worship this statue, which is really a way of worshiping me. And what's interesting is that these three friends, they, they, had, they were so loyal to one another. They were, they were so connected to one another. They had helped remind each other of their identity as God followers. It didn't even, it didn't even tempt them. And what they did is they answer the king. But, but I love how the scripture portrays this. They answer it with such a unity of conviction that nobody can actually tell who is speaking. It's just the three of them answering the king. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. 
He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Is that not strength? Is that not power? Is that not conviction? You see, they say, God will rescue us. Who said it? Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego? Yes, they said it together. They said, God will rescue us. He will rescue us in this life, or he will rescue us in the next life. But regardless of how he chooses to rescue us, O king, we will not bow to this false god. We will not bow to this idol. They, they knew who they were. They knew their identity. Because of their friendship, they had a clear conviction of where they were going to stand. And that's what good core friendship does, is it reminds us of who we are. It reminds us of our core convictions. It keeps us on the path that we know God is calling us on. And so the king was not pleased. He, he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times its normal temperature. And then he, they, they bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hand and foot. The reason why we think they bound him hand and foot is, is because they had to have soldiers throw them into the furnace. But the furnace was so hot that the soldiers who threw them into the furnace, those soldiers died. It's hard to get good help these days. And so, so they get thrown into this furnace, which is seven times hotter than normal. The soldiers who threw them in died. And that's the end of the story, right? Wrong. Now, the king's looking into the furnace, and his mind is blown because he sees them not incinerated instantly, but he looks in, and he sees them walking around. And then he does a quick count. Wait, I thought we threw three into the furnace. I thought it was, it was always three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I can't separate them. I thought it was just the three, but I see four people, he said, and the fourth looks like a god. Or in some of your translations, it says, looks like a son of God. Many scholars argue that this is a picture of the pre-carnate Jesus. The same Jesus who says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in their midst. Even in the midst of the furnace, even in the midst of the fire, no matter what circumstance you're going through, no matter how hard or hot things get, where two or three are gathered, I am with you. And so the king seems that he's instantly humbled just a little bit. And he sees them walking around, and there's a fourth there, and, and he's curious about this whole thing. And so he calls them out of the furnace. And you could just imagine he's a little more gentle at this moment with his tone. He's like, Shaddy, Mishi, Abednego, E, you know, come on out. I, I want to talk to you guys. And so they come out, and everyone in the court gathers around them, and everyone is amazed because their clothes, they don't even smell like fire. And their, their hair, it's not singed at all. I find this miraculous. I cannot light my barbecue without singeing my hair, let alone being in the furnace. It come out, they, they smell amazing. They don't look like anything has been disrupted by their tenure in the furnace. In fact, the only thing that was affected on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the only thing the fire touched 
were the ropes that bound their hands and their feet. In other words, the only thing that God destroyed were the things that limited them and held them down. And you need to understand that's what core friendships do. That core friendships, if we go through the fire with our core friends, with our true brothers and sisters, that God allows for those experiences to just shed our limitations, to remove the things that hold us down, that, that keep us from being all that God has created us to be. That's the power of this kind of friend, that it helps us to be everything, all of our potential, all that God has created us and saved us to be. And so their bonds were gone. And they were free. Before the king ever set them free, God had set them free. And so they come out, and, and Nebuchadnezzar, he, he calls them servants of the Most High God. In other words, God gets all the glory. He gets all the glory from our friendships. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are promoted. I'll just wrap up the end of this story. They're promoted. They're given positions of power and honor throughout the kingdom of Babylon, and they are never asked to compromise their integrity ever again. And I want you to just to see this. This is the power of friendship in our life, the power that reminds us of who we are as God's sons and daughters, the power that reminds us of what our core convictions are and the people that we want to be. And friendships set us free so that we can live that life that God has created us and saved us to live. So as we wrap this whole thing up, I just want you to see the value in all these levels of friendship. The, the, the value in your community friends, the value in your connected friends. Cherish your core friendships. And I want to challenge you, each and every one of you, that you would be willing to take the next step. Whatever it might look like for you, whatever it looks like in your journey, that you'd be willing to get into a life group, You'd be willing to step onto a ministry team. You'd be willing to get plugged in so that you could invest in and nourish your friendships. Because, friends, connection is everything. We want to be connected to God, and we want to be connected to one another. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes, and let's pray. Jesus, what we want to do is we want to say to you, thank you. Thank you that you saw us in our isolation you saw us alone. You declared that it was not good for us to be alone. And so you have pursued us in love. You're the one who has come to this earth and you have lived and you have died and, and you have paid the penalty for our sin to be forgiven and you have invited us into your family, into friendship with you, Lord. And you have, have pursued connection with us. And so we just want to say thank you so much, Lord Jesus. And we, we embrace your friendship. We embrace your connection today. And we ask that you would show us how we might invest in and nurture the friendships that you have already brought so that we could truly celebrate the community friends you've brought us and the connected friends you've brought us, and we would cherish the core friendships. And Lord, we want to do all of this in such a way that brings you glory and honor. We love you, Lord. We thank you for how your grace covers our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.